0: A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. Telling a woman that she can't be an elder is a nonsense rule. If they claim to be in the body, we let him have it. Donald Trump is going to win in 2020 by an absolute landslide. six, Christianizing the American dream. I said that you, um, that that many LDS folks... And I, I love the same Jesus. I still believe that. Sawing is a blessing from God to make you rich. Treating Jesus it? like a lottery ticket. The Lord spoke to my heart. the very few times I've ever heard God be this articulate with me. And I'm telling you word for word, these words came into my heart. Not all with you do it, I'm asking you to brush
1: your hair. That's what God commanded you.
0: Hey, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to The Master's Dog, episode 156. I am your host, Norm, The Master's Dog Dunham, a.k.a. The Evangelical Norm. Yes, it's me. I am. i have been gone for about a month. Um, just time constraints and things, and who knows? I, I, the, the list is never-ending of excuses why I have not done an episode in over a month, but here I am. Really playing catch-up. So today is the day we are going to play catch-up. I think part of it is... It's just been week after week after week from our friends at Saints Unscripted of nothingness. So... Um, Again, a little background. Master's Dog is a podcast I do dealing with false teachers and uh, false doctrines and so on. Anything that comes against the the truth of God's word, as it says in the introduction, uh, the beginning of the intro video, I bark. When God's truth is attacked, I make a noise. And so this started out as a podcast called Faith and Beliefs Refuted, and I was simply responding to... The LDS podcast, uh, which at the time was called Three Mormons, became Saints Unscripted when Nelson said you couldn't be called Mormons anymore, and so they took that out, they called it Saints Unscripted. They started a, uh, a segment of their podcast called Faith and Beliefs, and they were talking about the articles of faith. And I really, I saw that and I said, I want to respond to each and every one of these to show how those articles of faith, what they really are, and how they don't line up with mainstream Christianity. Well, they continued on after the 13 Articles of Faith and doing issues on doctrine and theology and so on. And so, I made a commitment that I would respond to every one of those videos, and up to this point, I have done that. Um, some of them not completely to the video, which you'll see today. When when the vi- when they do videos that don't have anything really of any substance that needs to be addressed. I kind of let it go. And that's kind of what I've done for the last month and a half, actually five, six, seven weeks. I think since I've done an episode of, of the fifth seal, I think I've done a couple of false teachers of the week or not the fifth seal, (laughs) the master's dog. I just finished an episode of the fifth seal. So I'm again, playing catch up. All this is going to run together. You get norm, uncut and unscripted and, um, blooper reel uh, in your face (laughs) so um, it's been it's been almost a month and a half since I've done an episode of the master's dog and it's been a lot of stuff that really is kind of pointless they did an episode on what it looks like to go to an LDS church service okay nothing really crazy going on with that except for the fact that they really didn't get into talking about the sacrament here's the only thing I'll talk about if you really want to see how much mormonism is based in the occult and like along the lines of witchcraft witchcraft is the only thing that i know of where rituals have to be word for word having been a wiccan for a period of time having been to a coven and so on watching them cast spells it is very important that you do those things word for word verbatim right because any mistake can have catastrophic results in those things and so this is what happens in an lds church service especially during sacrament meeting so they you have what they call the sacrament which we as christians would call communion um except for the fact that they use water which is i mean jesus shed his blood for the the his his bride he shed his blood for those that he di- died to save he made a covenant with a cup of wine representing his blood um to take that and and again he had turned water into wine to take what he uses and essentially reverse that 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 miracle he did and reverse the wine into water insult among insults among insults to the lord i mean that is literally thumbing your or biting your thumb thumbing your nose you pick your your uh your cliche for um, shaking your fist at the heavens. And that's what they do with their sacrament. But the sacrament is prepared and administered by the only real thing that the Aaronic priesthood, which doesn't exist, Jesus did away with it by being the the final sacrifice for sin. The Aaronic priesthood was no longer needed. But the only thing the Aaronic priesthood in the LDS church does really truly does um They go walk around on fast Sunday and collect fast offerings from people who can't show up to church. Um, I've done that in the past. They administer, prepare and administer the sacrament or communion. Uh, The deacons, the 12 to 14 year olds, they get to carry it and pass it and take it around all the people sitting in the pews. The teachers, the 14 to 16 year olds, they get to prepare it. They get to be in the back room pouring water into the little cups and usually with unwashed hands applying the um, unbroken bread uh, usually a a two slices or a slice and a half per tray Um, usually you have eight trays that get passed around the room if you have enough uh, priesthood members in a big enough room so we when i was a teacher we did a a slice and a half so You know, went through 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 slices of bread, right, and put them in there. Uh, And then the priests, the 16 to 18-year-olds, they bless it, and they get to tear up the bread is what they do. So, and in blessing it, they have to pray a specific prayer. And this is where you'll see kind of the issue of what I would consider to be witchcraft come into play in an LDS service. If the priest does not say the prayer exactly right, once he finishes prayer, you're going to see that particular priest. There's two of them. One will say the prayer over the bread. One will say the prayer over the water. Um, and I'm trying to remember which one is done first. I don't honestly remember. I think the bread is passed first and then the water, but I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. I'm pretty sure that's the way it goes. Um, but one will pray over each. That priest who said the prayer will look back at the the bishop and essentially give the thumbs up or thumbs down on whether or not he has to do it again. I have literally been in a room and watched a priest get so flustered that the first counselor from the bishopric came down and prayed the prayer over the blessing of the bread. Watched it happen. Um, but essentially you get this this is the prayer O god our eternal father we ask you in the name of thy son jesus christ to bless and sanctify this bread to the souls of all those who partake of it and witness unto thee O god the eternal father that they do this in remembrance of thy son that they do always remember and that they may have His spirit to be with them and and uh basically i don't remember the whole thing i used to have the whole thing memorized um and then water um, do that to all the souls who partake of it. When unto thee to thee, do this in remembrance of the blood of thy son, which was shed for them. The only real difference is when they get to the water, it's the blood of thy son, which was shed for them. You're using water. Yeah, I mean even even uh, you know your your teetotaling Christian churches that don't want to use wine in their communion will actually use grape juice. You know, at least it's some kind of blood of the vine um, which jesus talked about quite often so that's a little bit of a response to lds church service nothing crazy that was there that really needed to be responded to the next week they did a lot of history what happened on the mormon trail the coming across of the the mormons uh, the pioneers from uh, the east to the Utah territory really all this was was a lot of history nothing there that I really needed to refute or could refute or cared to take the time to even look into to see I mean it's history it's what happened and there were no there was no real theology or doctrine or anything like that mixed in with it then they did one talking about the first pioneers in Utah what they did when they settled the area again nothing really theological nothing really doctrinal nothing claiming to be, this is you know what makes them the true church kind of thing. It was just simply a a history lesson, which again, nothing really there to refute. Then they had um, what are hot drinks? This here they talked about the word of wisdom a little bit, which is a theology issue. Yes, it is, um, but it's again, it's it's not really that important. It's not something that. We get into is it a legalism issue with the LDS? Kind of, sort of, yeah. I mean, it really becomes um, an issue of legalism, of you know, uh, you know, you're you're dealing with works is essentially what you're dealing with. This is something that. You know, you can be received church discipline for you can get in trouble for if you're doing these things, smoking cigarettes, so on. It damages your witness. And, and again, it was far worse when I was in the church than I think it is probably now. You wouldn't be able to if you did, if you if you were a known coffee drinker or tea drinker or any of those things, you could uh, you would not be able to go to the, to the temple to do uh, vicarious works. You don't get your temple recommend. Um, you can't get married in the temple. You can't do any of these things. So again, there's a, a legalism thing to it of that. But again, it's just, it's equivalent of the Muslims and you know their dietary laws and so on. This is, this is Mormonism's dietary laws, which are, are pointless and meaningless. And then their next episode was changes to the word of wisdom. And again, has it been changed? Has it gone from being, you know, coke you know when I was a kid coke you couldn't even drink coke and then of course there was apparently the owner of the coca-cola company became a mormon and suddenly it was okay to drink coke I don't know how true that rumor is or anything like that it's always what I heard but again at some point in time it was like well you know caffeinated drinks coke coca-cola soda carbonated that stuff is is uh what it, it's uh warned against um but it's not forbidden um you know again hot drinks like uh, chocolate are not forbidden, um, but they're still hot drinks, which is what the the Word of Wisdom says. But those are, well, it's always been known that it's coffee and tea and da 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 da, da. and whether that's caffeine, could you drink heat, decaffeinated? All this stuff, it's just a it's a source of confusion. It's a source of mockery, I would say. But I don't know any apologists or evangelicals that are using the Word of Wisdom to argue any issues with the LDS church. So there we get to play catch up. Those are all the videos that I did not play and play and stop and talk about. and So on, because they were just essentially really meaningless. If you want to see those, you can go to the saints unscripted page. You can go through their history, look up their videos. It's all over the last month and a half, um, in their faith and belief segment. And I don't think they actually have a, a playlist for just faith and beliefs, but they have said like, uh, you know, tough questions or historical stuff or doctrinal theology you you can find they're there you can find it i would say just go to their videos tab and just scroll down until you see um the uh what what was it the lds church service and then work your way back up and you can watch all those videos if you'd like um i'm not saying you can't you know again i watch them so you don't have to but but then again, we watch them together because we're going to watch one right now. We are going to get into the uh, issue of whether or not. Um, well, oh, the important importance of names. This is the, the episode. And there were a couple of things in here that I'm going to bring out and talk about um, that are are kind of essential. This is one that I probably could have skipped as well um, and just broke it down in a in a really a five minute blurb or whatever. But. We're going to watch it. So this is going to take this episode to be a little longer than our normal episodes are. Probably going to be about 30 minutes, but we're going to jump into it and we're going to go. So here is our friend David and we are back. <sighs> the master's dog dealing with our friends over at Saints Unscripted, the importance of names in the Bible. Here's David.
1: Hey guys, so in some ancient cultures like ancient Israel, oftentimes the name Hey guys, so in some ancient cultures like ancient Israel, oftentimes the name given to a person or place told you something about that person or place. For example, in Genesis thirty-two, after Jacob wrestles with a divine being, we read, And Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, for I have seen God face to face. In Hebrew, Peniel means facing God or face of God. It's not just a name Jacob thought sounded cool. It tells you something about that place. In Hebrew, Jacob means, among other things, supplanter. You'll recall that earlier in Jacob's life, he pretended to be his brother Esau and tricked his father Isaac into giving him his brother's birthright. Jacob was a supplanter. But after his wrestle with a divine being, we read, "...Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel, for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men." and has prevailed. In Hebrew, Israel means, among other things, a man who wrestles with God or one who prevails with God. In this episode, we're going to look at how understanding names in scripture can often unlock additional meaning, both in the Bible and in the Book of Mormon.
0: Okay, so what I want us to notice as we go through this is he's going to go and he's going to do more stuff from the Bible. We have absolute definitions and thousands of years of scholarship that gives us what these names were defined as in Hebrew and so on, that gives us these names. Then notice what happens when we get into the Book of Mormon stuff, and that's what I will point out. All right,
1: so let's look at a few more biblical examples. We just talked about Jacob supplanting Esau. Genesis 25 somewhat graphically describes Esau's birth. And the first came out red, all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. Believe it or not, Esau means hairy. In 1 Samuel 25, a guy named Nabal offends David. In Hebrew, Nabal means fool or foolish. Nabal's wife pleads with David to forgive her husband. She says, Please let not my lord regard this scoundrel Nabal, for as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. Now, did Nabal's parents really name him fool? Really? That's your real name? How dare you? Maybe it's also possible that this was a nickname or that an editor of this story changed or satirized the name to drive home a point. What did you call me? Wordplay with names also shows up in the book of Mormon.
0: Okay. So here's one thing that they're going to do. Nabal. was his real name? Nabal. We have no reason to believe that it wasn't. Why would his parents name him Nabal? Fool. Who knows? Who knows? Any number of things. Uh, could it be a nickname? guess it could yes he could be have been someone could have called him nabal later on and that's the name that just stuck and that was the name that he was known by yes what did not happen is a later writer did not take and change the name to satirize it this is this would be strictly verboten in translating the bible as we have seen and we have Uh, example of after example and years and years of how we know that the Old Testament was uh, transcribed from one scroll to another and, and translated and I mean it wasn't translated, it was always written in Hebrew, so it was transcribed one to another no transcriptionist no scribe would ever dare change a word to satirize it but the reason why a Mormon will tell you this is because of the changes that have happened and they want to be able to go back and go, well, you know, it might have happened in the Bible, although there's absolutely no evidence, but we know that it happened in the Book of Mormon. We have absolute evidence that thousands upon thousands of changes have been made to the Book of Mormon over the years. This is what happens when you don't do a video for five months or five weeks, six weeks you lose your voice rather quickly (coughs) excuse me i apologize so again but this is pointed out and this little this little thing is planted this seed is planted to try to use that against the the listener and the watcher later know this there is no scribe and we have enough ancient manuscripts and so on to go back and know that this wasn't done by a translator of the the tniv in 2010 or whatever right this is absolutely we know this is what was written thousands of years ago and no scribe would ever dare to change or satirize a name as they transcribed and transposed from one uh scroll to the next
1: in Alma twenty-seven twenty-two, the Nephites say, This land, Jershon, is the land which we will give unto our brethren for an inheritance. And two verses later, we read again, This we will do unto our brethren that they may inherit the land Jershon. Scholars Stephen Ricks and Matthew Bowen agree that in Hebrew, Jershon would have meant place of inheritance.
0: Okay. Now here, we don't have an absolute translation in Hebrew. There's nothing. But they, they, these scholars agree that it would have meant we have nothing to go on except speculation that it would have meant this i don't joseph could have made up any name and these guys are probably going to come and go well you know and it's again if we look at if you pause and you look at this um, i'm going to try to increase the size of well i have to increase the size of my monitor first, and then I'm going to try to increase the size momentarily of your screen so you can read what is written here, okay, um, now, settle. Uh, the Nephites allowed them to settle in the land of Jershon, the name, though not found in the Bible, has an authentic Hebrew origin, the root, Y-R-S, meaning to inherit, okay, okay, I don't see Well, I mean, YRS, J. Jersch, I guess, is what they're trying to say, means to inherit with the suffix ON that denotes place names and may have the meaning, may have the meaning, place of inheritance. Wilhelm Boré, in his important study, uh, something or other, cites fully 84 ancient Canaanite place names with the ending ON in biblical and extra biblical sources. Okay, so again, we have all this. But again, this is all speculation. With Jacob's name, with Peniel, with those other places, we have absolute definition, Hebrew definitions of those words. This we have speculation inheritance.
1: In other words, the writers of the Book of Mormon are likely making a play on words here. Jershon, or place of inheritance, is the place of inheritance. The first author of the Book of Mormon, Nephi, stated that the record was made in the language of my father, which consists of the learning of the Jews and the language of the Egyptians. In accordance...
0: Okay, again, I've made this argument time after time after time. No Hebrew would ever ever use the Egyptian language to write a, a, a document or to name their child. None. The 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 animosity between the, the Jews, the Hebrews and the Egyptians because of the captivity never ever and and, and again now let me let me disclaimer this this is my opinion as I have studied and read scripture and so on, and talked to Jewish people over the years, this is not, again, reformed Egyptian, whatever that supposedly the Book of Mormon was written in. No self-respecting Hebrew, after having been in captivity and the things that went on in Egypt, would use reformed Egyptian. They would write in Hebrew, excuse me, don't drink soda while you're doing a podcast that was pretty gross
1: with this description scholars have noticed elements of both hebrew and egyptian in the book of mormon nephi of is most likely derived from an egyptian word nfr which means good goodly fine or fair okay
0: again my my argument stands and again they can come back against that and go well that's just your opinion but my argument stands and it, 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 it bears some weight if you look at history. No self respecting Hebrew person would name their child a Egyptian name. Would not. I, I, I can't fathom that happening. With uh, Again, I mean, the, the way that the, the Jews operated throughout history. That's not happening. The Hebrews are not going to. And you can, I mean, you can go ask a, a Jewish scholar about this, but I don't see it ever happening.
1: If that's correct, then it appears that Nephi uses some clever wordplay right out of the gate in the first verse of the Book of Mormon. I, Nephi, goodly, Having been born of goodly parents, therefore I was taught somewhat in all the learning of my father, yea, having had a great knowledge of the goodness and the mysteries of God, therefore I make a record of my proceedings in my days. It's a play on words. That's
0: great. Go ahead, make your jokes, Mr. Jokey, joke maker.
1: In the Book of Mormon, the wicked Zoramites would pray from the Ramiumtum, which is described as a
0: place of standing which was I've always laughed whenever I heard that word. Ram-yum-tum. Again, it just, it sounds made up to me. High above the head.
1: The first element of the name is most likely related to Hebrew Ram, to be high, to be exalted, and Rama, eminence, high place. The same root that appears in the biblical geographic name Rama, meaning hill. Again, the name fits the thing. One of my favorite examples
0: Again, and it's all speculation because we have nothing to go. This is what the definition of that is is
1: Zeezrom. In Alma we read, and it came to pass that there was one among them whose name was Zeezrom. But before the narrator tells us Zeezrom's story, there's a pause while the narrator describes the Nephite monetary system. We learn about all the different units of gold and silver. Notably, one of the units of silver is called an Ezrom. Scholar Stephen Ricks noted that the Book of Mormon proper name Zeezrom may follow a naming pattern parallel to the Hebrew Zesinai, He of Sinai, and may have the meaning he of the Ezra. The Book of Mormon onomasticon adds that Zezram may mean he of silver or money. This makes sense. First, we're introduced to Zezram, who is described as essentially a greedy Nephite lawyer. Next, we immediately get a review of what an Ezra is. Then we immediately jump back into the story of Zeezrom, who tries to bribe Amulek, offering him a hefty sum of silver if he will deny the existence of God. Amulek refuses and says, Believest thou that there is no God? I say unto you, Nay, thou knowest that there is a God, but thou lovest that lucre more than him just as Yesram's name would suggest. As far as I am aware, Joseph Smith never talks about any of this linguistic stuff from the Book of Mormon, which suggests to me that he simply wasn't aware it was there. And remember that the Book of Mormon was published long before Joseph began to study the Hebrew language. None of this proves that he was a prophet, but I imagine that if you were a fraud and had gone to the effort of researching and subtly lacing the
0: Book of Mormon with these intricate
1: linguistic gems, you'd want people to
0: I don't think that they're intricate linguistic gems. I think it's stretching to reach. I mean, it's, it's apologetic acro- acrobatics, which is what the Mormons have to do quite often. I, I think it's a stretch to try to make any of those things sound like they're linguistic gems. Know about them. It's something that I have to show you
1: in my book. You'd find a way to tout them up as evidence of your prophetic call, but he doesn't. In my mind, that leaves three options. One, the scholarship must be all wrong and none of these examples are valid.
0: That's where my, the 70% of my vote goes there.
1: Two, Joseph just made a series of unimaginably lucky guesses. No, but there Or is three, option. this book really is what it claims to be and has traces of ancient influence because it comes from a real ancient record.
0: Of course, whether or not... The fourth option that always is left out, and this is where... 30% of my vote goes is that it was a demonically influenced writing by the enemy. I mean, it, it. you can take a lot of the things, whether Joseph just made this stuff up or if he was influenced by demonic uh, influences outside of himself or whatever, there is, there's, there's plenty of possibility that any of this stuff came from, from that. But again, I don't see, I see all of these things, these, these, Uh, linguistic gems and connections and whatever i see them as stretches this is this is really reaching and scraping the bottom of the barrel to come up with some kind of explanation of why this is and again there's hundreds of other possibilities that have no you know you now we've been given three three of these things that we're supposed to go, look, the Book of Mormon is so amazing, but yet there's hundreds of other names that are simply just made up that have no real connection to Hebrew or anything.
1: Not the Book of Mormon is what it claims to be is a question that you need to find your own answer for, ideally with God's help. But if you're looking for more info about today's topic, check out the links in the YouTube description. Watch some of our other videos
0: while you're here and have a great day. There you go. So there we have it. The uh, importance of names and just the way that this stuff gets used. Uh, again, it is. There's such a, an acrobatic stretch into taking this stuff and twisting it around and going here. Look, we can we can just isogee this stuff into here and make it uh, look it's believable. No, it's not. No, it's not. Zeezrom is a made-up name. Ram, uh, whatever that thing was. I can never remember it, but I laugh every time I hear it. It uh, is a made-up name. Nephi, made-up name. All of this stuff. We have scholarship throughout the Bible that shows us these things. And yes, this is what parents did in in. in hebrew and and so on that they gave names to their children that had meanings and so on none of this translates over to the book of mormon the book of mormon is a fabrication of either a demonic influence over joseph smith or a vivid imagination of one uh joseph smith jr um, which he told many stories and then managed to publish into a book uh based on golden plates that nobody actually saw that were always covered up and what the ones that claim they saw them saw them with the eye of faith so there you go guys um thanks for taking the time a long episode i understand um hopefully i will not get this far behind and we'll keep up with what's going on and you won't have to endure another 30 minute um episode of the master's dog maybe just a 20 minute episode um which is probably coming up um in the next few days i'll be dropping uh one about emma did emma believe or not in joseph smith's prophetic gifting and what why that is an important thing or if it is even an important thing and why we should talk about it so thanks guys for taking the time to watch this video as always uh take leave me a a like a share a comment that helps the algorithm send it out to more and more people Um, subscribe. If you haven't already hit the notification bell, get all the content that I release here on the evangelical norm channel on YouTube. Uh, Hopefully much more coming up. Some unsolicited episodes. Um, There's a lot of music that's come out since the last episode I did. And so that I've got to play catch up over there too, but uh, please uh, take some time to check out the other stuff that I've done. And as always, Preach the gospel at all times. Use words. They're necessary. And until next time, Soli Deo Gloria.